Have you cooked up a story and dropped the party in the meat grinder? Stop your grinning and drop your linen. Check out the diabolical minds of Brett and Sean at Gaming and BS. Role-playing game chat at its finest. What you call hell, these guys call home. What are we talking about next week, Brett? Well... Welcome to Gaming and BS. This is episode 161 coming to you October, Tuesday, October 17th. Thank you so much to Blake Ryan for that awesome intro. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. That was very nice. Thank you, Blake. Welcome to the show, folks. Glad to have you on board. <sighs> that was cool. That was neat. Yeah. That surprised you. I didn't, I didn't even know you had that in Hopper, man. That was cool. I, I didn't know until the last minute I happened to see that in there. It surprised me. Very nice. Right. That's what I try to do. Keep you on your toes. So I killed the deer with my bow. That was the first deer I've ever taken with my bow. That was so you ran up to it and you freaking choked it with your bow. No, I, I just, yeah. I, actually, it was, um, I threw my bow. No, I did not. You, you, you killed your bow with an arrow. You killed the deer with an arrow. Yes. Shot from your bow. Shot from my bow, yes. Because if you're killing a deer with your bow, you're probably not doing it right, Brett. <laughs> that could have been part of the challenge. That could have been... <laughs> All those years. years, a couple years of anxiety and annoyance, and shooting at multiple deer and missing them. Last year, I actually shot close enough where the fletching of my arrow slapped the deer on the ass, which was hilarious. It was it was disappointing at the time, but when you when you uh, when you look back on it, it was funny. But anyway, I got one, a nice ten pointer. It was really good, nice big fat deer. Then I almost cut my knuckle off cleaning the deer in my home, um, but. I had fresh venison tenderloins that night. It was really, really good. Made me happy. That's fantastic. So the 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 hard part though is that I got the bloodlust out of the way, Sean, and game whole cons coming up. So I feel oddly satiated, and I've got games to run. That's just not going to do it. I got to find some. I got to find some other way to get back the magic. You know. Ugh. I need yeah. to get I need to get like frustrated and angry and, and want to murder again. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah, I'll just have you join my game, man. <laughs> oh, that'll do it. Hey, there you go. Hi, nice, I got, nice. I got answers for you. Nice. All right. Well, speaking of conventions, as we just mentioned, uh, Gamehole Con is coming up. Like, holy shit! It's what two weeks away? Three weeks away? It's freaking damn near on top of us. Less than a month. So yeah. Sean and I will be there, of course, in force. We've got a host of other um, really good people. Have nothing to do with us. Are going to be there. Really, really cool, fun folks will be there. And uh, yeah, it's in like um, what's shit? November second. Wow, that is coming up fast. Anyway, point being, there will be some really cool things there. We're going to have some friends of our show. All sorts of coolness going down. Free beer on Saturday. So hopefully, we will see folks there. That will be fun. Um, oh, other convention stuff, Evercon, uh, and speaking of Gamehole, combined with Evercon, Alex Kammer, um, one of the directors from, uh, Gamehole Con, good friend of the show and, uh, friend of Sean and mine, has been kind enough to kind of help coach and mentor me through some of my trials and tribulations of taking over Evercon and trying to help run that sucker. So, Alex has offered, this year he's free, last year he was, um, tied down with some girls basketball action with his daughter but he's like hey brett i'm free i'm a special guest like it or not i'm coming gonna run some games 
I said, Alex, what do you need? You need a hotel? He goes, nah, I got it. I'm showing up. I'm running games for you. I'm like, okay, man. <laughs> so I got an Alex camera coming. That'll be fun. Running some cool games for us and all that good stuff. So that'll be hoot. But evercon.org. Submissions. Uh, pre-reg is open. 35 bucks for the weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's in January. Check it out. Evercon.org. Hopefully we will see you there. Any other announcements, Sean? I don't I don't think so, Brett. No? All right. No. I've just been just so happy. Yeah, well, that's I, good. I, I, killed, I killed the deer. It made me happy. Well, that's great. It, was, it wasn't good for, I mean, from a deer's perspective, perhaps not so good, but. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't their day. It wasn't their day. It tastes really good. So you dressed it yourself? Yeah, I always do. I butcher my own deer. Well, I, but most of the times I know people that take it in and get it taken yeah. care of. No, it's not my style. I see. No, do it you myself. Just, wow, man. Yeah. Use stone tools, my teeth mostly. <laughs> anyway, let's random encounter it up. Random encounter. Going to start this off with an awesome voicemail, and I'll even turn it up so Brett can hear it. This is from Nick. Hey, Brett and Sean, this is Nick down in Houston. As one of your loyal listeners who's been here for a while, I just wanted to thank you for the uh, efforts that you and the other podcasts did to supporting this area after Hurricane Harvey. Uh, I was lucky that uh, my family and I didn't get any damage, but uh, it was certainly touch and go for a while, and there was a lot of this area that's been devastated and still going to be sort of climbing back from out of the pit. But uh, that's really appreciated. Uh, also, just just listen to the last episode, and uh, I'd be happy to jump into Sean's game uh, if he's looking for players. But uh, I just it, it occurred to me that uh, you know we've got such a great community of listeners that uh, you know maybe at the end of the podcast we could have like a looking for players kind of uh, bit if uh, if we've got some of our pretty awesome listeners who are looking to get into an online game, either a one off or a campaign, and somebody's looking for players, we could. Uh, maybe add that in. But uh, just a suggestion, everything's great with you guys. You guys have done great. Hope you're doing well, and take care. Bye. Wow. You know, I I played that because he had a good suggestion. Well, that is, I mean, first off, Nick, very glad. Sean and I are, of course, incredibly glad that you're okay, your family's okay. Um, <clears throat> it sucked. <laughs> From people I, I knew who were down in the area or in and around, one of um, one of my staff, um, has family that was in the area for my day job. And uh, he was regaling me with some of the, the woes that they're stuck with and, as you said, climbing back out of the pit. So glad we could do something between us and the other podcast to try to help in any way. That was awesome. And you are correct, Sean. That is a goddamn good idea. Um, we've had this before, actually, where I think the mongrel came up and said, hey, I want to run something. We had uh, James Pace was running a couple things. People have hit uh, the G plus community and the Facebook community, mostly G plus. And we've encouraged people to, um, say, Hey, I want to run a one shot or see <clears throat> me. I'm building a campaign world. I'm working on a game system. I wonder if I could get some players. And Sean, I've always told people feel free to, you know, pimp the hell out of that shit on our, uh, social media. So it might be worth, um, might be worth thinking about how we could formalize that in such a way. I'll tell you what, Sean, if you're up for it, I think what we could do is if people are looking for players or would like to play in a game, um, they could email us. They could uh, probably the um, or post up about it. And we'll do our damnedest to try to collect it, and um, probably as we go, try to fo- formalize a better 
collection method. I can't think of anything else offhand. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea. It's just a matter of how we want to do it, if we want to do it at the end of the show or if we want to do it just in the community or on Facebook or Twitter or Google+. Plus. Well, I'll tell you what, though. How about people start if there is – we'll gauge the need, right? So um, as Nick said, if you are looking for a game or would like to run a game and are looking for players, hit us up with it. If you think you'd like to pull pull, uh, folks out of the community – and um, we'll be happy to post it up. We had uh, I had three individuals inquire about, but I think it's I don't know if they're all unconditional. I think some of them are like, hey, if you're going to play this, I'd be in on it, and if it's this, let me know. So I've got some inquiries. I did get a couple people I talked off of it because they asked me. That like, may no, be too. <laughs> they probably contacted Brett like, you know, I'm just kind of on the fence. And Brett was like, no. It's nay on the game, nay. <laughs> and then that's fine. So it kept it to three. <laughs> I didn't want to overwhelm you. I didn't want to overwhelm you with. I, 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 hey, thanks, buddy. You're welcome. I'm here for you, man. <laughs> All right. Want to read Crim Fan stuff? Sure, I can read that. Crim Fan writes in, says, I play online a good bit because it's one of the ways to keep a good group together as people are scattered across the country. Face-to-face is better when possible, but face-to-face with not a solid set of players? Solid players are better, in my opinion. Excuse me. Practically speaking, from my experience, Google Hangouts, video off to save bandwidth, Roll24 Maps, and Obsidian Portal for recaps and info management seems to work out well with the free levels. With the free levels, just fine for me. Discord seems to glitch a bit less than Google Hangouts, but you have to have an account. Online seems to work fairly well for about three to four hours to keep focus, but the GM needs to be solidly prepared with any maps necessary. Too many, player, uh, too many players online is tough, though, if for no other reason due to radio discipline and bandwidth issues. I guess I always um, have always uh, preferred smaller groups of players, two to four, but online really puts this in focus. Another one is background noise. Microphones really pick up all sorts of background noise. So table talk for players who are face-to-face or online players multitasking in various ways can be a real problem. Yeah, I've had, um, <coughs> even when Sean and I have gamed online and such, you know, I'm Sean and I talked about this last episode, we're fortunate where I'm in right now recording where Sean is, is like in the home man cave, if you will, or my library, Sean's gaming area in his, uh, in his place where you could shut the door, minimize the sound. But um, if you do have cats <laughs> like Augie or dogs like mine or Sean's periodically howling in the distance, sometimes that can be distracting. But the other thing to remember, I would say, is that it's not <clears throat> radio discipline. You know, mic discipline is good. But remember, it is a game. And unless you're absolutely recording it, you know, for some sort of playback, if you don't have the best, you know, headphones, microphones, that's fine. You don't need to go hundreds or thousands of dollars in the hole just to set up an online game. There's no need for that. But microphone handy and headphones or at least earbuds, essential. Yeah, prevents those goofy loops. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Thanks, Crim Fan, as always. Continuing on with Michael Parker on episode 160. I went through a lot of the same internal questions you talked about for my current campaign. When, where, who, what game, etc. You guys talked about sending out a survey to gauge people's interests, and I have to agree that it is a very valuable tool when deciding on a new campaign, especially when planning on running for people you aren't really familiar with. 
it sort of acts like a session 0. 0.5. Uh, for my current roll 20 game, I did just that. You can check uh, that. You can check that survey I created here. He put a link in. I will put it in the show notes because he's got it in our Google Plus community. But I know some people aren't on Google Plus, so I'll put it in the show notes because uh, I don't think Michael will mind. Uh, let's see. I created the questions based off of four games I really wanted to run. And 5e, I kid, I kid. Oh, I see. I re- let me reread that sentence. I created the questions based off, off of four games I really wanted to run and 5e. <laughs> I kid, I kid. The catch is that I didn't specifically call out any game. I just descriptions of the games. So can you guess which game we still landed on? Yep, 5e. But the questions also really helped me tailor the mood and themes in the game. And it turns out that this is one of the most solid groups I've ever run for. Finally, I have some advice for Sean Kelly. And he has a little picture in there. A link to a picture. And what's it say, Brett? Just do it! Do it! There you go. (laughs) He's got a picture to Shia LaBeouf. I'll tell you what, though. That is, we talked about that, the survey, asking, so forth. And there is... There's level buy-in you can get with that with your group. I want to be here. I said I would play this game. This is the game we want to play. Um, and then settling on that as a group and saying, yes, we are all saying that we are here to play 5e, 2e, whatever e, and off we go. That's a good. That's a good idea. And yeah. I liked I liked his uh, little uh, survey approach there too. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I do like it. I haven't checked it out, but I I think it's not going to be wholly different from what I'm thinking in my brain. Like on how I would probably want to do it. He just he just executed. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's pretty pretty good stuff. Yeah. Sweet. All right, VC Young comes back at us here and says, So my first question he's got two questions, I think. At least the first question is for Sean Kelly. Is why not whore out the work? Fear the Boot had an episode where they talked about this a while ago, and the solution they came up with and successfully tried was to whore out the light work to the community. Why spend two of my four hours writing up Factions are places of interest where I can throw it out to the community. Hell, in the episode, they threw out um, a OneNote to those who wanted to help and had their fans fill out the information for the game. All you'd have to say is, hey, random gaming MBS fan, if you'd like to help Sean out, I need to have a location right up with X, Y, and Z, and then after my game, we'll touch base with, <laughs> with you if I got more questions or requests from you. Hell, I've thrown Brett B. some writing stuff for Avalon, and I'm sure if you ask the community, they'd be willing to help. He did. Sean, uh, he has done that for me before. He had a really cool idea about a uh, kind of a peddler cart and a uh, lamplighter encounter, which if I get my way, I'm going to slip into the uh, Kickstarter once that launches next January. So that will be kind of cool. You know, um, what VC says there, I think there's some value to it for us. And um, so my first, I guess that's my first. I was like, "Wow, well, geez, what if you don't have a podcast? What if you don't have a listenership? Boy, that's um, that's not very helpful." Then again, though, what did we just say at the top of this thing to um, to Nick and others is that if you do want something out of the community, don't be afraid to ask. So I think a gaming community like this one could be used to whore out the work. <laughs> Use VC's perspective. We could totally do that, or anybody could do that within our community. What do you think, Sean? You want to you outsource it like I did? Uh, maybe. maybe. I don't know. Well, I mean, hmm. 
Sean did give me untold amounts of shit when I outsourced my character creation for Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, Brett was totally bought into the whole game. I did. I like my guy. See, that may be a fear of mine where if we if we outsource it, as I would say, crowdsource it is probably how I would okay, frame right. it. There you go, crowdsource. Crowdsource. Uh, I don't know if I would have full buy-in. Like, I mean, I would run it. I think some of it would be great. There's something to be said when you pay for it, and you would pay for it with sweat. Oh, I see. Tears. A little sweat equity, a little uh, and bit of your own. Creativity and, like, you know, all that hard work and brain brain drain. And that time your your wife wouldn't talk to you for a week because you ignored her over dinner writing your s- story that was That's right. awesome. That's right. All part of the scars, kids. That's right. But if somebody just handed it to me, I just, I don't know. Brett, how would we be teaching our kids if we were to do that? Okay. But. Right? Okay. Now, that, that you're saying like the whole thing, though. I think VC does have a good oh. good perspective, even a chunk of it. Right. There's True. No, there's no reason not to ask for help. Because the other thing <laughs> that we no, it's, need to. It's all, pri- it's all pride, Brett. It's all pride. Okay. The other thing you need to teach <laughs> your kids, Sean, is uh, pride goeth before the fall. And oh. um, at certain points, you need to say, hey, you know what? I could really use a hand here. Hey, community, you got some great men and women who are listening to us or are part of the community of listeners. What do you think? Lay it on me, guys. Gals, what do you got there? Speak up, ladies. Yeah. Tell me what you got. You know what? You're right, Brett. Goddamn right I'm right. I got to be a little humble. <laughs> a little humility. A little. This, su- this superstar status of podcasting has just gone straight to my head, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what this is. That's what it's all about. All right. All right, David Lucht. Yes. From the Facebooks of Faces. Yes, he says, good day to you. My name is David. I've been gaming almost 30 years off and on. Uh, Excuse me, on and off, my apologies. And I came across your podcast earlier this week. I've been binging your show and had a question. Well, if you've been binging the show, David, I can see you possibly have a lot of questions. But I uh, props to you, my good sir, for continuing on. David says, my 11-year-old daughter has been asking me to start a campaign for her and possibly her friends. She's going to play her first RPG on Saturday with some friends. Uh, looks like they're playing GURPS. Not my favorite system, he says. Do you have any recommendations for possible systems to set a game for her? My personal favorite is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition, but I fear that might be a bit too crunchy for her. I thought of possibly Shadowrun or Shadows, Shadow of the Demon Lord tweaking to be more age-appropriate. Fate is also possible, but seems a bit light for my taste. Thanks ahead of time. And yes, just listen to the game hole episode, and we are attending. I'm actually volunteering. Well, David, that is awesome. <laughs> so when you do get there, David, we, we'll have our uh, table, and Sean and I will be milling around with uh, other folks, so feel free. I'm, we, I hope you stop by. At least say hi. That would be gone. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 we will give you a beer Saturday night. Absolutely. On us. So, good <coughs> Lord, excuse me. Uh, David, for games for your 11, 11-year-old, my kids love D&D. Um, I have played Redbox, Osric, which is first edition, and uh, fifth edition, and they love all that. I have played Call of Cthulhu with my oldest son, or excuse me, my, my youngest son, who was 10, 9 or 10 at the time, and a bunch of other folks at, a, at Evercon a few years back. He had a blast with that. My youngest daughter, who is now nine, has played Little Wizards. I can't remember who produces that game, but she likes that. 
Um, she also likes to play D and D esque type games. She really, really digs fantasy. I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, a couple episodes, David. So I think um, <laughs> to try to cut through the the binging fat, if you will. I think you're going to find some bits and pieces in there. I mean, the the PIP system by Aloy LaSanta, we had him on one of our bonus um, BS episodes where we talked to Aloy. Sean and I both backed that game of Reddit. <clears throat> I've not yet had a plan to, chance to play the PIP system, but that one's pretty freaking cool. Not hard. has enough crunch and some coolness to it. Um, I'm actually getting exposure to Fate Accelerated, Fate Accelerated Dresden. Uh, Tom Flanagan from Nights of Night is going to be running that now that um, for Kevin, Emily... Um, Chris Nizak and I, but I think my preference would be what type of thing does your daughter like? Does she like superheroes? Does she want fantasy, sci-fi? And then finding something that um, kind of fits in that in that wheelhouse. The other thing I would say is you know your daughter better than Sean or I do. Um, kids are not- <laughs> I have found almost every kid is notoriously smarter than we think they are. Oh, this seems far too crunchy. And you show the kids a Pathfinder book, and next thing you know, they're picking out feats and feet chains, and they understand things. Because they're not stupid. Um, not, <laughs> that's a very broad statement, David. But honestly, kids are really wicked smart. And if they ever want a game, they've got a pretty good mind for it. And it would not take much, I don't think, even with a crunchy game, to really get them into it. And you can cut out some of the crunch pretty easily and just keep the meat of it, which isn't all that bad. But that would be where I would think to start. Is what does uh, what does your daughter want to play the genre the type, and once you've sorted that out, then it's a matter of finding the game that best emulates that component of it, or even something like the Pip system again, which is generic enough, but also not nearly as heavy as Gerbs. Yeah, I got nothing to offer on this one. Yeah, Sean doesn't. Well, I mean, Sean doesn't have kids. <laughs> I don't have kids, and Brett sums it up all right. Uh, you know, and I like. I think the biggest factor is we don't know your 11-year-old daughter. Your 11-year-old daughter could have the maturity level of a teenager or... Or of a Sean and Brett, for all we know. It could be... Or better or higher than Sean and Brett, yes. Absolutely. There's the bar, right? Yeah. yeah. Could easily or, step over that bar. And what's in, like, what's her interest, too? Like, if it's, you know, fantasy or espionage. I'd probably peg her for an espionage freak. Could be. I mean, if you take a fantasy game like Dungeon World, Sean, I have thrown this out before. Sean said if you were going to teach, if you wanted to teach somebody role playing, like you, you would say Dungeon World would be a great one to start with. And after I played it with Sneezak running it, I, I agree that'd be a really good one for people to learn on too. So yeah. Dungeon World, Powered by the Apocalypse type game, that could be a really good one too. Yeah, let us know what what you end up kind of considering and how it goes. I don't know, Shadow of the Demon Lord. Yeah, tweaking for age appropriate. Um, definitely, because I know that Rob Schwab, great guy, a little bit on the twisted side. A little bit. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a torturing Hopefully device that kills people and like devours their souls, shits out components of it, which are then devoured by other creatures, but then feed the machine again. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a crazy-ass game. Anyway. Yeah, moving on to George S. on Facebook. Yo! I ended up, so he inquired a while ago. He's like, hey, I was thinking about buying Tales from Loop. Can you give me some insight into that? So he says, yo, I ended up buying Tales from Loop after all. Wanted to run a Halloween game. So hosting a mini con with friends all Saturday, the 21st of October, in which the kids are bused to an abandoned high school 
for a Red Dawn paintball game in winter. But it's all a scam, and instead of Russians invading, it's Wendigo attacking the youngster. Can they escape, defend themselves, etc.? Just wanted to complete the story, so thanks for your input. Hope your health continues to improve. Post-accident. Sean and Hope Brett. Sean and Hope Brett gets over his terrible gaming decisions. Oh. I did. Nice. We're, 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 hey, George, we're working on it. Well, at least I'm at least I'm running games. I mean, Sean's just sitting there Whoa. thinking about oh. running games. Wow. <laughs> Ouch, man. Yeah, sorry. I had to... All right, that's fine. I deserve that. Damn, goddamn right you do. Thanks for writing in, George. I hope that game on the 21st goes awesome. Let me know. Well, let us know what you think of Tales from the Loop. Yes. All right, let's get into our main topic. There you go. All right. So last last week we talked about Sean's inability to run it. No, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was hard. No, so Sean talked about... Do you suffer from... (laughs) I can't. Dear games last less than four hours. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> call a friend call a friend and complain call yes call gaming mbs so i'm going to be running uh this coming weekend actually it is the october 21st is going to be my kickoff game for this it's warhammer first edition um warhammer fantasy we're playing <coughs> first edition and it's uh the title for it is nowhere is safe i'm running that it starts this saturday on the 21st we're gonna start at noon probably go to about 11 midnight ish so most of the day, most of the night. <clears throat> I like to do, when I get a chance for a kickoff game like this, I like to have a big one. Um, long time to go through different bits and pieces of the rules and so on. So I thought I'd chat through kind of how I'm going about thinking through the campaign and where I'm leaving it open. Because it's going to be, I consider the sandbox slash character driven type of campaign. And I figured I'd throw out what I plan to do. Sean will... Slap me around a bit and say, ah, that's bullshit, and it depends a lot, and we'll see, and we'll, we'll kind of tear it apart from there. These aren't going to be these aren't going to be geared towards me. I have no it depends. You might have some. Well, we'll find out. So what the hell, Brett? Why Warhamster first edition? <clears throat> so part of it is nostalgia for me. I love the game. I played it. I bought it when it had first come out and loved it, had a really good time with it. I have yet to be able to run a serious... Uh, campaign with a, with a dedicated group of players. <clears throat> so my home group, a number of those guys have played it in the past. We were talking about um, what comes next after DCC, and we are talking about new games, old games. I have <clears throat> Invisible Sun, uh, excuse me, Invisible Sun coming from Money Cook Games when that shows up. Uh, Kevin and I both bought in on that. She's like, man, that could be a lot of fun if it's good. God, if it sucks, I wasted a lot of money. Holy shit. So apart from that anxiety, just trying to think about what we could do. And Alpha, one of the guys, says, we have a lot of games, he says, pointing to a shelf, that we've owned and haven't run or haven't run for a long time. So a number of D&D modules came up, and then I brought up Warhammer 1st Edition. Everybody said, wow, we haven't played that since that one shot you ran years ago. We should do that. And a ton of my guys are also Warhammer Miniatures Fantasy Battle guys, 40K, Warhammer Fantasy, all that stuff. So they love that and are... Pretty well versed in the uh, in the Warhammer verse. The cool part about first edition, though, is that 
the setting, the monsters, the gods, and so on, they're not the same as in the more current editions. So that means there's enough <clears throat> there's enough common knowledge that everybody has, but it also helps me from a um, making sure that not one one person or a couple of handfuls of people in the group don't have like all the knowledge. Like, oh yeah, so that's go oh, good lord, that's that's Kane got a murder. Oh, that's terrible. Oh wow, and and you know Kevin's going, what the fuck's a Kane? I don't understand. No, there's a lot of things that are now standard in Warhammer that did not exist or are different with the first edition setting that I want to keep pure, which should uh, help throw enough people for loops, which I think will be fun. Does that answer your question? Very interesting, Brett. You don't care about that? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's fine. I think uh, the old nostalgia is uh, is fine. It's good. It's good. It's gonna be. Fa- uh, it's gonna be fun. I'm guessing. Right. I hope it's so. Gonna be fun. If it's not, it's gonna be terrible. <laughs> so, just as an example, as as corny as this is, is in the modern um, Warhammer setting for fantasy, or even 40k, the Chaos Gods. There's um, there's a the cor- main ones are Corn, God of um, Bloodlust, War, Death, so on. Uh, blood for the blood god, skulls for the skull throne. His followers often chant. You've got Zanish, which is change, fate, manipulation, so on. Nurgle, plague, disease, despair. Slanesh, lust, pleasure, desire, and excess. There's other <clears throat> components that are out there, but in the first edition setting, you don't have. You have Cain, which is Lord of Murder, um, who I think eventually at certain points becomes a quasi chaos god. And then you also have, um, you then have your corn Nurgle, but Maul is a different one. And then there's um, <clears throat> another deity, Solkhan, which is out there. It's just, it's a little bit different. And when I throw these names and drop these components out there, it will make the characters, make the players, excuse me, have to have to dig into it and try to figure things out. They can't just immediately fall back on player knowledge of all this stuff mm-hmm. because it will not be as readily available as it would be if it was the more current setting. What's so the, are they going to have to know all this crap? Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. That'd be crazy talk. <sighs> well, I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't know for sure. No, no, no. So the cool, <clears throat> so what we did, um, I'm using, there's only one, there's only one core book. It's the only rule book there is. Um, <clears throat> in the Warhammer bundle that came out a while ago, they had a really good um, scan of the first edition rule book itself. So I'm using that and a couple adventures um, that I want to uh, plop in there as well. I'm looking at some of the setting stuff from Castle Drakensfels. And uh, there's one um, splat book, if you will, that's non-core called Apocrypha Now that was released by um, Hogshead Publishing uh, many years back. And that one I may pull in as well because it's got some additional character classes and stuff. But otherwise... What the characters really need to know is the location they're starting in and broad sweeping components. So in the old world, I provide them a map. It's basically a fantastic version of Europe. You have the Empire, which would be like the Holy Roman Empire back in the day. You have Bretonia, which is kind of France, um, bits of Spain, and um, you got multiple mountains and all this good stuff in there for dwarves and all sorts of craziness going down. So they don't need to know all the ins and outs of everything. They just need to know what component they're going to be put in. 
which then helps kind of lay out the specifics because then I don't have to go crazy around everything. I can just focus in on the one city that they're in and not have to worry about the rest of it. Does that make sense? So you, yeah. So do you have like an underlying kind of, uh, an underlying plot? Like, is it conspiracy? Is it going to be murder or espionage? Mostly what high I'm, adventure, what I'm most, spelunking. What I'm mostly looking for is conspiracy. Uh, hence the, the title of it. Nowhere is safe is that no matter <clears throat> what's happening, what's going on, there's a lack of safety in everything or most things enough to create paranoia and that worry that conspiracy tends to have and that the, the players and the characters should be n- trusting each other, potentially not trusting other people, trying to figure out who's manipulating who and why, what's the backdrop and so on. In the newer versions of Warhammer, <coughs> excuse me, chaos doesn't seem, at least the way I've I've talked to some people, the way they run Warhammer, perhaps not just the newer versions, but Warhammer has a law versus chaos thing. The gods of chaos, the chaos waste, these horrible mutants and demons and terrible things that are happening. It tends to, some people run it as kind of a big overt slaughter fest, like, hey, there's horrible evil things, and yes, there's the Skaven, which are rat men, and, and so forth. But what I like to do is to have it be more almost like rats in the walls type of thing. Yes, there may well be rat men in the sewers, but it's that skittering, that scritching sound you hear in the wall, and it's a slow annoyance. And you come to find out that the um, the baker down the street is actually the cause for um, this individual family going missing, and it's a total... Um, uh, shit, what was the... I can't remember the uh, the musical that Johnny Depp did, but basically, um, what he, you're cutting up people and serving them in meat pies. I mean, it, it can be that type of corruption. It can be all sorts of those small, insidious, seditious things that are happening underneath everything else. Well, there's a facade that everything is okay, or people are trying to make it seem okay. So that's the overarching theme and approach to it. So is this is going to be an urban adventure. It's going to urban. Urban base. It's going to start out urban. We're going to be in Bretonia. Um, the Empire, as I said, is, that's the that's the main component for the Warhammer world. Bretonia is um, west of the Empire, across um, across the big mountain range, and they're kind of nestled right in this wonderful area. And they have their own levels of corruption and so forth. What I did was uh, Quinellis is a, a city, kind of at the on the um, southeastern portion of it right outside this big um Lauren forest so i've got plenty of elves available to me where i need them i've got dwarves up in the mountains of course halflings humans and so on and they're close enough they they could get to the empire they could get to other places if they need to we're gonna start them out there they're all inhabitants of the city which is <laughs> traditional warhammer slash brett gritty nasty city world kind of worm eaten and falling apart there's corruption and so forth as they delve into that and uh, figure things out. The idea is to push them outside of the city once they've accomplished what the city has to hold in the surrounding area. And then are they willing to take it further than that? You know. So do you have this planned out to run a certain amount of sessions and meetings or is it until you get to an end or do you not know where this is going? I have a fairly... What I have is uh, I normally start with an, what I've a friend of mine called Alpha and Omega approach. 
I know where I start, and I have a pretty good idea what the ending looks like, like what the big final thing could be or most likely is. It tends to be a little on the fuzzy side. I don't know how many sessions it'll take him to get there. It usually runs for a calendar year. We meet once a month. So if I start in October, <coughs> probably October to October is usually how it works. We end up missing uh, December for Christmas and such, but usually from October to October we run. So it should probably take about a calendar year, so about 10, 10 sessions total. So what I did was <clears throat> we used the absolutely random character method generation that they have. You go through and say, hey, um, I want to be an elf, a dwarf, a halfling, a human, and you roll on the various different charts. You could be a, a rat catcher, a dwarven, a dwarven slayer, um, a troll slayer, or you could be a, we've got one guy who's a charlatan, somebody else is a sage, all these different components. So we pick different places within the city that they would be and the basic knowledge that they have. And that's part of the session zero, which we went through last month, <clears throat> excuse me, where I went through with them and said, Hey, here's your character. Here's the basics of the, of the area of Quinellis. And here's what you would know. Here's what you um, would have readily available to you. When we start off, this next session, the first actual kickoff one, recap that stuff and then start introducing components and actions. Um, I usually start off by asking the player, hey, what's your character doing? So we'd be like, hey, Sean, what do you, what, what's your guy do today? Well, well, Brett, it's a she, and she gets up in the morning and <clears throat> heads downtown because she's a baker, and she gets up, goes down, buys the flour, buys the stuff she needs, comes back to the shop, and she's an apprentice, so therefore she gets to work. Somebody else is a town guard, just coming off of whatever. So they people narrate what they're up to. And then I start introducing small annoyances, plot hooks, things that will get them moving towards the first big action piece. Um, sometimes that comes down to everybody's doing, everybody's characters are all working the right way, if you will, and they're all like, oh, you're all kind of colliding together. You've decided that you are connected to each other. You know each other. Um, because you all wanted to or, or whatever it is. I didn't force anybody to have to make bonds of connection or anything back and forth. So if I get lucky and all the characters end up in the town square or they all end up at the market or all on the same street corner by hook or by crook, I can thrust them right in the middle of some crazy blind combat where they don't really know why they're in it or their mistaken identity, any number of different things. But what I look for off the first session is a bonding event of some kind. If I can get the whole party together to make it happen, great. If not, I'll have a couple separate bonding events so that every character has a chance to have met at least one to two other characters, at the very least. So that way, later on, you can say, oh, I know her, I know him, I know her too. And when as things start to build, you begin to fall back on the people that you've met who have had this shared bizarre experience of seeing behind the wainscoting and, and finding out that there are, you know, indeed rats in the walls or scaven in the sewers in this case type of thing. Does that make sense? Yes. Interesting. <clears throat> I know we've talked about this before, and a lot of times I know people like to have um, – Especially for a one-shot, you want to have the characters bonded in some way that they all know each other. When I'm running this type of campaign, I want to make sure that the characters... The players are all playing characters that fit the setting, <clears throat> so that's fine. 
They all fit the location. They've all got the right stuff. That's great. If they do not want to know each other, that's totally fine. I've had campaigns like this before where my buddy JR, just because of what his character is doing, has no connection with any other character for like four sessions. That's totally fine for John. Doesn't care. He can sit on the side, have like two or three action scenes or activity scenes, a game, and other people may have more. He doesn't care because John's doing what he thinks his character would do, and that's how he likes to play. So he doesn't mind. As long as he continues to make progress in what he wants to work on, he doesn't give a fuck whether he runs into Sean's character or Angela's character or Kev's character. It's not a concern of his. If you give a guy like Zave a problem or something, He's going to want to dig into it and start poking and prodding and asking questions. He immediately starts to problem solve and pull things together. Um, and part of this is easier for me to pull off with this group because I've been gaming with these guys for over 20-some years, most of them anyway. So I know these guys like the back of my hand, so I can kind of see where they're going and what it is that they're trying to accomplish. But the idea is, is that I try not to take too heavy a hand to force them to have bonds if they don't want them. Um, I will, one of my favorite things to do is the, oh, you just so happen to be in the same street corner. You just so happen to be looking for the same person. Um, introducing things like that where happenstance, coincidence, um, becomes a driving force. I pick that from different movies and, um, books I've read where somebody happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and they witness the murder. They witness the horrible unveiling of something that shouldn't be. And they're the only people who saw it. And again, you have that bonding moment where I saw it, you saw it, and so did she. Shit, the three of us now know something, and um, what, what's that going to lead us into? So that's kind of how I look to push things together from a campaign perspective. Very interesting, Brett. <clears throat> Although i got to say, though, um, the reason... Your question, though, about the theme and stuff is because it is a conspiracy-based component and the idea of nowhere is safe... I want to make sure that whatever I do inject in there has to be um, constant and escalating. <coughs> Damn, excuse me. But it can't go too crazy, right? Because if I just, you can ramp it up so fast <laughs> that it becomes like the Bourne movies, right? You go into a certain point, and next thing you know, everything's blowing up, and it goes real crazy. But it's a, a 10 sessions, potentially. So I need to pace it. So I can't pull back all the curtains all at once and say, here's all the bad guys and here's all the cool and here's all the horrible things that are behind it. Need to kind of pace ourselves as we go through it. Um, did you do? Oh, <clears throat> we did have a couple different characters of different races. And that was just to go back to why I chose Bretonia in this particular location. Not only because it was not the standard starting point, at least a lot of my car- my players are used to usually starting in the Empire, starting outside of it. Um, gives them just something else they have to remember or look up or ask more questions about. And by picking this area, there's a lot of access to the Elven Forest, the Dwarves, the Mountains, and so on. In your other question of, you know, is it a delve, is it a whatever, I want to make sure I've got opportunity that if the k- players decide that, you know, this mount, this Dwarven... Um, citadel you know in 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 this in the in the mountains is something that we really have to dig into or whatever the case is i want to make sure that they have that opportunity if they want it so i wanted to make sure that i had plenty of either ready-made stuff that's in the book 
saying, oh, look, here's the here's the black triangle or the black square that denotes a ruins or a dwarven something or other that's in the mountains. So they can <coughs> excuse me, jump directly to that stuff. So that's always fun to have. Um, and I like to make sure that the players have a copy of the map, if not electronically printed out, that they can look at and I can point to it on the table so they can kind of see where they are in proximity to everything else. So how many people in the group know Warhamster World? Let's see, Alpha, Beta, Save, JR, Nick, five out of eight. Oh, so of the three that don't know it mm-hmm. or aren't as familiar, mm-hmm. are you going to provide them with some uh, some guides, Brett? That's the plan. I have the um, I have the nice PDF. Um, so what I plan to do is print out, or at least electronically, electronically um, take the components that are uh, from the Quinellis area of Bretonia, and then be able to take that and um, at least print out that section just around the city and Bretonia itself, how it operates and so on, <coughs> so people understand that. And then um, some snippets on the races as well. The other thing that I do is I do lean on to VC's component of whoring it out across the table. Um, my group knows full well that I'll say, well, you know, it's kind of like elves within Warhammer are very similar to X, right, Zave? And then Zave will say, yeah, they blah, 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 blah. Or JR will say, yes, but don't forget this one group or whatever it is. <clears throat> so I allow those players who have a lot of the knowledge to be able to spew that forth and show that, hey, I've got something, and then that helped the rest of the, the party. And then the other thing that that does is then when I'm in an action scene or I'm working on something deeper with Alpha and Beta, other characters are digging into some secret of the conspiracy, and uh, Kevin and Chad are like, what is that thing? Who is that? Was it Cain or Corn? Which was the god of what? They lean over and they know that Zave and JR are just as knowledgeable as Nick, so they can grab they grab any of those three guys and ask him that question, Then and they know that that's fully inbounds, that that type of history of who the gods are, how the cities are laid out, and so on, is totally within reason or realm that they can share that information back and forth. I don't cut that off. What they learn going forward, the new NPCs I introduce and uh, the plot points that I throw at them, that's all stuff that they need to pay attention to. But from a history perspective and just the raw IP, I let everybody in the group who knows as much or more than I do share that stuff willy-nilly with the group just to help make sure everybody's on board. I see. Honestly, I had to do that a lot with the uh, Star Wars stuff when you were running. I do not know the universe as well as the rest of them. So even <laughs> the intricacies of the Mandalorians, I had no fucking clue all that stuff. So every once in a while, Austin and uh, James would be talking about something with the Mandos, and they'd be listening, and I'm IMing one of them going, what's this? Oh, yeah, they operate like this. Okay, good to know. I had no idea about that. Or I would ask those questions because I just don't know the setting that well. So that was a... I don't mind it when the players lean on each other. I see. Um, the other piece... So from a sandbox perspective, they said, I'm going to throw out plot hooks, right? Get Try to get their characters introduced to each other. I've got a long session the first time. Uh, make sure that they've at least <coughs> encountered each other at a tavern, on the street, in the field in the woods, somewhere where they've encountered each other. 
And because we haven't played the game for a long time as a group, everybody's going to be involved in a combat or a skill check of some kind. I don't have to have everybody in a combat, right? I just need to have a combat where the whole group stops. And even if it's just Nick, Zave, and Chad, those three are in a combat, everyone will understand how the combat works, even if it's just those three fighting two beastmen that Brett throws at him while they're in the woods. <coughs> because you'll see it's a percentile-based system. What do I have to roll? How does this work? Oh, these are the critical charts. This is how fast it goes. This is how you do damage, and this is what toughness means versus wounds. Okay, I get it. Good. Oh, a spell happens. Somebody has to, we have to have magic at some point. That's another system within the game that the group, I need to make sure that they're aware of. So if I'm able to, I'd also like to throw out some magic at some point, either a spell for somebody to resist or to affect them in some way. Or if one of the characters happens upon a way to cast a spell, which is not easy at the beginning levels of Warhammer, but let them utilize those things. I like to give the characters an opportunity to shine with all those skills and feats and extra cool things they have. I know the dwarf is really strong. I know this character is a trapper. I know this one is a sage or whatever. I want to give them an opportunity to use their skills, even if they fail, just to make a skill check. Oh, click. This is how I make a skill check. Oh, I want to use this special ability. Well, how do you use it? Let's look it up. Okay. Oh, this special ability is very simple to use. I just roll it out and off I go. <laughs> and by doing that, then it invests everybody in the character sheet. They understand what it means. And then when everybody's seen a combat, everybody's seen a number of different skill checks. They all understand what a weapon skill versus a ballistic skill and what toughness versus leadership and cool and so on. They understand how all those things, all those things matter. If I want to have... I need people to be, the characters to be afraid and terrified of something. You want to make sure you do terror checks or fear checks against cool and all that stuff. So again, you want to make sure you've, you've done all that stuff. So everybody has a chance to just kind of fuck about with the rule system and make sure they're comfortable with it. I tried to do that early in a longer kickoff game. So everybody has a chance to just kind of muck around and say, Oh yeah, cool. I get it. I can now punch stuff in the face. I can get hit in the face. I can see when somebody dies, (laughs) I can see what happens if I get my hand almost cut off. Holy shit, this is bad. Um, and so on. The danger with doing that in a Warhammer game is that you, if you overbalance the first couple encounters when people aren't quite used to it, it's much like, because the critical hit charts, much like DCC, you can have a pretty high mortality rate. How are you going to handle uh, character death, Brett? <clears throat> so in a sandbox game like this, what I usually do with character death is um, once a character dies, we say, well, there are... These NPCs that would make good player characters that have been introduced that seem to also be aware of something, like if they're digging into a problem, which will no doubt happen in one of the quarters of the city, this town watchman that they've been speaking to repeatedly, the one sergeant of the watch, he or she could be a really good person to play. Is that interest to you? No, I really want to make something totally new from scratch. Totally fine. Um, Let's make something up and let's see how it would fit together and where we'd want it to all be interconnected. So that's usually what I do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So level, is it a level-based system? I don't know much about it. Yeah, the way it works, it's a um, um, it's a career system. So you have a career, say, rat catcher, and then you have various different exits <coughs> Damn it, that you can take out of that career. After you get enough experience points, you then improve stats and so on on your career chart. Once that's full, then you have the opportunity to move on to a different career. So you could go from... 
like a demo uh, charlatan to a demagogue from a demagogue to i think a witch hunter or something along those lines you could go from um if you're a dwarf and troll slayer then it's giant slayer and then dragon and demon i think it just gets harder and tougher and crazier as your dwarf constantly seeks death in battle um but trappers can become outlaws and so on and so forth there's just different different ways that you expand from there but essentially it's kind of a first level you have your intro um classes excuse me uh careers and then you can exp- you go up from there so it's similar to a level system very interesting <clears throat> so and because i want to make it character driven so when i throw out the plot hooks chances are i mean within the warhammer milieu i have i have chaos ratmen skaven they're not like were rats they're actually ratmen that eat warp stone and are fucking nutty chaos wizard evil bad ba- bastards we got chaos gods their followers are cultists i have undead and worshippers of death and other horrible things there. I have even religious zealots on the good guy side that are kind of crazy and can be a pain in the ass and very dangerous. And um, you even then, then you have goblins and creatures like that, which essentially are quasi chaos if in a way, but um, that's also equally dangerous. So I'm going to seed a number of different um, things that they can pick out of the sandbox to use Robin Law's statement, it's like the plastic dinosaurs, right? If they find the stegosaurus, they go, ooh, this is really neat. Let's dig into the Lich King's story. All right, well, fuck, we're off to the Lich King thing. Oh, we want to find out about this <clears throat> bizarre, uh, seemingly undead necromancer who has a bizarre castle in the Grey Mountains. All right, off to Castle Drakenfels you go. Or if they look into something else, it could go somewhere else. One of the pieces that I tried to do then is... I personally document in my notes now what things they're going after and what things they're interested in but don't want to touch and the things they don't give a fuck about. Things they don't give a fuck about, I just drop off. I'm like, I don't care. But if they decide to go after the death cult, okay, it's a bunch of murderers who worship Cain, got a murder. They're trying to, they're a cult of assassins. We got to go root this out. It's a bane across all of Bretonia. We're off, we're off and running. If a couple other people are still kind of interested in this other cult activity or this other something with the Templars, or they're really also concerned about this uprising or some problem in the Elven Forest, that is the other plot that just kind of keeps poking its head back into the story arc. So if they're off and running in one direction, the other stuff that was interesting to them, I keep tacking along. Because at some point, if the thing they're working on, if they take it to an end and say, wow, you found out where the cult of horrible assassin murderers live. You rooted them out. You've destroyed them damn near to a man. Hardly anybody left. And it's session four out of ten. What's next? Well, in the background, those other one, two, three, or however many things were interesting have also continued to go. It's almost like running a clock, if I were to use clocks, and say, these bad guys, these plot points continue to progress regardless of what the characters are doing. So at a minimum, I'm going to have two of those things running. One plot's running, and the characters are chasing it. Another plot's running, and maybe some characters are chasing it in tandem. Maybe they're not. Regardless, at least two different plot lines are going active at the same time. So that when they're done with one, there's another one that's immediately ready ready to rear its ugly head because it's been running essentially unopposed for weeks or months. 
on end as they dealt with a goblin problem. I see. I have been using uh, Google Plus to document more um, campaign notes and stuff. I was using uh, a Wikipedia type entry. A friend of mine had a wiki set up, and we were using that. But everybody's on social media for my group more often, and we tend to check the G Plus community. So I set up a G Plus community for it. Nowhere is safe. And then um, I have, you can sort through it, and there'll be like um, campaign notes, scheduling, so on and so forth. So we're all arguing as to when we can meet. No shit, we got school this, or oh crap, Brett's going to be deer hunting or whatever. Um, we put the schedule dates out and stuff. And then <clears throat> I also put out pieces about the world in there as well. So some of the things that you asked about earlier, how do they make sure that they know stuff? I post it to the social media area, and then they everybody gets an alert that says, oh, hey, there's some new information on Bretonia. Brett just posted this up. I should read about that because it's uh, important for the setting. Or if because you get to the, the game and someone goes, fuck, I forgot to read that, which we're all guilty of. Everybody goes, it's in the G Plus community. Everyone knows immediately where to go because we all use G Plus, so they just hang out there and grab onto it. It's just the easiest way for me to document and grab that stuff. So sounds, sounds like it's going to be a great, great game, Brett. Are there any? So that's kind of that's a high level overview of what I'm looking at. Um, is there is that is that really different than what you do, Sean, or is that? No, I do. I'm going to do the exact same thing. <laughs> nice. I'm going to run. Hey, I'm running a Warhammer <laughs> Warhamster first edition game. Nice. <laughs> do you have any? Is there any? I believe I call this a sandbox or player or character driven because I'm basically going to see wherever the characters want to take it, and then we're going to head down that path wherever it is that they go. I don't have my ending component again is is nebulous enough that I could tweak it. So instead of it being, you know, a chaos cult, it could be an undead cult, or it could be the Templars. It could be something different. It's a big thing um, at the end. It doesn't have to be. I don't have it fully mapped out. I don't have the train tracks fully laid in that direction. What are some of the things you're going to do in this game, Brett, that you haven't done in other games? <sighs> Good question. Um, hmm. <clears throat> so one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going <laughs> I'm going to try desperately to focus on allies and and friends. One of the things I tend to do, in the, and I also want to try to avoid dead babies. I'm going to try desperately to avoid dead babies, which will be hard because murdering children is a really good way to bring forth the evil and chaos and so on. But if I can, <clears throat> having – it's it's one thing to be kind of the group that's always against the evil and always trying to save the world. Um, having allies um, of some kind that can help them, even if, even if it's only like, hey, <clears throat> we're here to also fight the powers of chaos. We're not very powerful. We'll, we're a small, clear uh, – Juridical or clerical group of the old faith, we can shelter you for the night, give you food, <clears throat> cast a blessing upon you. It's the best we could do, but off you go. I can't leave my community. Somewhere where they have chances to rest. Um, nowhere is safe. They should feel like nothing's safe most times. But when the opportunity comes, when they do have a respite, it should be like, the, uh, you know, I want to feel like this huge weight is off their shoulder. You know, it can't last, but it's kind of cool. Um, and the other piece is that I want to avoid save the world. I don't want to save the world. I'm not even sure that what I want to do is advertently go after save the kingdom. 
maybe the city or maybe it's just doing something good even though no one else will even know you're doing it. Which is one of the things that's interesting to me about the conspiracy angle is that oftentimes, even say if you take a Knights Black Agents perspective, you're going after the vampires. You're not necessarily saving the world. You're going out to do a job against something that's evil and vile, and the rest of the world has no idea you're even doing it. They may even hate you for doing it because on your way through there, you blew up something in Hamburg, you went down to Vienna and caused and caused a fire, and you did this and that all the while through there. In your NBA game, you're fucking murdering vampires and cleaning up the human trafficking issue that they've been doing. No one knows you're doing that. It's a thankless job, Brett. Yes. So you're not necessarily my my hope is to keep myself from making it um, empire spanning, where it's like, hey, we're going to save all of Bretonia. No, we're not just saving Bretonia. We're saving the empire as well. Plus Arabe. Plus 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 plus. I don't want it to go huge crazy. Only have about 10 sessions, and that's a lot to cram in. So I think keeping the uh, the missions, it's kind of my Avalon approach of you may think global, but you're going to adventure local, right? It may be a big goddamn deal. It could be a big thing that you're stopping. There may well be a portal or a gate, or it could cause chaos to become stronger in this section of the world, but it's not fixing the problem, you know? You're solving a small issue, or maybe a big issue for that town of Quinella, for the city of Quinellas, or maybe a big problem for the elves of the Lauren Forest. But in the grander scheme of things, throughout the entire old world, it's not even a fucking blip. Which is part of the quasi-depressing <laughs> nature of the setting. But I, I have a tendency, I know, when I run campaigns, I want it to be big, big, big. Um, especially when you played with... Um, with the same group for a while, sometimes it's it's easy to escalate the, the trouble so that you're solving the world's problems, and I want to try to avoid that this time. I tend to I tend to grow that direction, so I want to try to avoid that. Hey, just being conscious of it, you're already halfway there. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Actually, I've, I've made, um, I've started taking, after the session zero, I started taking notes in my little notebook. Like, I put the player's name, <clears throat> then the character's name, and I try to reference character names instead of players instead of hey sean i go hey samuel i just get that going usually do the name tense things and so on just help keep that solid but um i write myself notes before the session not too big not too small (laughs) you know that (laughs) that type of thing um the other piece that i want to try to do and i'm not sure if i want to do this or not is when you're playing in an ip or at least a setting that people know really well. It's like playing in a Star Wars game and saying there will be no Jedis, no even talk or speaking of Jedis. It will be a completely Jedi-free campaign. And <laughs> some people may well be into that, and they may be fine, but I think that sometimes it might be one of those things that, oh, it's really not Star Wars unless I have at least a Jedi to show up. Even as an NPC, you know, just to see it would be cool. So one of the one of these uh, there's certain tropes and regular bad guys, if you will, within the Warhammer setting. You know, oh, it's clearly the Skaven, the horrible rat men live in the goddamn sewers. Sometimes it's a really good thing to use because why not? I need a monster that lives in the sewers that is collective and destructive and a horrible force of chaos. They would be great for that. But do I lean if I lean on that too heavily, everyone in the group who does know it really well 
Oh, um, you know, it's more rat men. So I need to be conscious, I believe, of when I break from some of the tropes within the setting itself, introduce them in pieces, but don't have that necessarily be the ultimate focus because that could get boring. Almost overused as a dead baby. Almost. Right. Almost. So I'm going to ask you this. When when I described it, when I laid this out for you and I did a lot of talking, which is unfortunately is normal for me, does this sound, does this set up from you as a, if you're going to play in this campaign, does that sound like anything you'd care about? Or you'd be like, no, I want to start like, like can we start in Medirez? Can we, what, what adventure am I specifically going on? I mean, I'm not telling the players any of that. They're Heather characters are going to be in Quinellis and stuff's going to happen. And I'm asking them slash telling them, trust me, it'll be really cool. Is that <laughs> is your first instinct to that? Fuck off! No, I want I want more. I want more than that. Well, I mean, I think it. If your your group kind of knows you, so they're gonna, you know, your group. So there may not need to be that. It is one of those. Yeah, trust me. Would you? I mean, I kind of did that in the in the Trail of Cthulhu game. Yeah, and that worked. Yeah, you guys didn't. You guys didn't yeah, rebel on me too bad. No, because we're good players. And we That's we true. have we're sensitive about that. Even me, Brett. Even you. But does that would that freak you out though? I mean, if you don't know me or whatever, or if you were running the game, you're looking to run. You know, whatever it is that you run. Are you? Do you want to have kind of a make your characters? I'll do some cool shit. Trust me, it'll be fun. Or are you looking to lay out more specifics? Well, I don't know. I would have to do a, I'm going to probably do a survey for my game. Kind of get that feedback. Okay. So I know what uh what trips each other's triggers. But I don't I don't think anything you're doing is going to be you, you unless you do some crazy bait and switch like, "Oh, now you're in the 21st century and like you appear on a street and there's this big metal thing with round things." <laughs> Propelling towards you. Yeah, no. The, well, they, and the goose, it sounds like a goose is like <laughs> making a noise at you. They do have guns. You they do have guns in Warhammer. Yeah, but not cars. No, not cars. No, very good point. <laughs> Nothing that goes honk honk and then hits you at 50 miles an hour. That's right. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, you're not doing anything ultra radical. No, I don't think it's anything crazy. I think, I think the. What am I going to say? I think it's helpful for me that I know my group and I can say, oh, I'm going to do something really cool. Sit down and let's go. Um, <clears throat> the the thing that becomes tricky is when whatever plot hooks go out there, I have to be ready to throw all of them away because the players have decided that they really care about the the halfling barber. Right. Because the barber is also a surgeon. You know, I mean, they, they really have decided that that character, that NPC, there's something up with him. What's going on with that? And you're like, fucking hell, I got a Lich King over here. I got a Chaos Demon Portal over there. I got Bandits over there and Beastmen in the Woods. You care about the fucking Barber? Are you kidding me? But they're going to. Right. And <clears throat> the I have learned over the time that whatever plastic dinosaur you throw into the sandbox for the players to potentially find, you need to be prepared that they could grab any one of them. Right. It, right. it, they could decide on me that they want to fight Skaven. They want to fight Ratmen in the sewers. 
and follow their their tunnels all the way through the Grey Mountains, all the way to the Empire, and they want to end up in Kislev, for all I know. Okay, if that's really where they want to go, I I am prepared to scrap any thoughts or concepts I have past session one and rework them to fit that. I'm going in there thinking that I know kind of what the ending is like, I think. I know how it starts for sure. But how they get there and what stuff is going to happen along the way, I really don't know. And they could decide to... I've described it this way before. It's like, you know, I could get from Madison to New York by way of Detroit, Chicago, um, New Zealand, Antarctica. (laughs) I could end up any number of bizarre-ass ways to eventually end up in in New York. So the, the... the New York in my game is basically just the ending, whatever that happens to be. So I, I'm used to it with this group, but when I run these types of campaigns, my, my, I'm fully ready after the first session that anything goes. Whatever happens, whatever the combat looks like, after we get through the set, the system stuff, oh, they understand magic, oh, we know how to kill somebody, oh, I know how to almost die, holy shit, this is how you heal, fuck, that was dangerous. <clears throat> wow, we learned a whole lot of this, we learned a whole lot of that. And we've all decided that we're going to investigate the corrupt city guards. Really? Okay, it's a corrupt city guard investigation game. Now, I, I can then take that and turn it into something else, right? If that's the path they want to go and they want to weed in some more, the corrupt city guards are corrupt. Why? Because it's a cult of Nurgle. Great, is a cult of this. Bah, who saved it. Or it could be, no, they're just fucking corrupt. They're thieves. They're bandits. They're scum. And then when that is done, you know, what happens next? Which is why I have two or three other plots going at the exact same time that are running and advancing regardless of whether or not the the players are paying any attention to it, which, again, helps me take an immediate right or left or even reverse based on whatever the hell the players pull, pull out of their ass on me. But that does that sound interesting to you? Would you play in this? Yeah. Hell yeah, man. All right, don't lie to me now. I wish I was playing it. <laughs> I'm just checking. Yeah. Freaking playing it? Of course you would. It's awesome. We should get going, though. Probably should. So, If you'd like to critique and throw uh, bombs at Brett's campaign, uh, feel free to email us at gamingmbs <laughs> at gmail.com. Now, Roger Brasillet and a couple other folks asked me if they could see my notes from the campaign as it developed. If that's something that's interesting to people, I'll be happy to post that in the community and share that. So I can post it in the community, or I might even just build a different community for uh, the listenership so they can follow along if, if that's of interest to anybody. But that's just the high level. That's the high-level component of it. Um, I'm sure, like like Sean said, there's nothing earth-shattering in what I'm doing. And I think that there's probably more meat on the various different bones I laid out there that we could delve into. Um, If there's a component of what I said that seems like it'd be interesting to learn more about or to even have Sean and I just talk about more, let us know. I'd be happy to do more about that. So anyway, shall we move on? Yeah, let's get into die roll. All right. Die roll. Got a few this week, Brett. I'm thin. I've got nothing. 
But we're back. Empire. Oh, yeah, well. No, I was going to say, I pulled a couple for, uh, from our listeners, and I did remind you of the Empire of the Petal Throne. So. You did. I see that. So Empire of the Petal Throne reprint would have come out October 16th, 2017, I believe is the date, which is tomorrow, which would be yesterday if you listen to this on the first day it drops. Uh, I know Victor Raymond. He's on the. He's on the. Uh, the 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 panel, the group, the board, of the governing body of the Empire of the Petal Throne. I don't know what the hell it's called. The Tecumel Foundation. I can never. The Tecumel Foundation. It's the creation of Professor M. A. R. Barker, of course. Yes. Yes. So if you're an Empire of the Petal Throne uh, person, then this is a no-brainer for you. If you don't know what we're talking about, you may want to check it out. Uh, I don't know if it's going to cost money or what the case is, but nonetheless. Uh, Number two, Steve C., a.k.a. Hogtown Games, Hogtown Games on Twitter, released issue number one of his Dice Roll zine. So I ran him on Twitter I say, like I mostly do when people follow us, I say, what's up, Steve? Steve says, I'm getting my zine done. And I go, what zine are you talking about? He's like, this one. I think he's going to send us a copy, Brett. Well, I'll tell you, looking on his his website here, this thing looks freaking sharp, man. So I brought it to our friends Jason Hubbs' attention, thinking maybe, you know, Something he may want to look into since it's a little bit, it's an OSR type zine, old school zine. Check it out. Very cool. He's got it up on drive-thru, I believe, now. Nice. And then we'll have a link to his uh, website that kind of gives the backstory of what why he brought it up. Number three, Geek Chic bankruptcy update. We posted this in the community, or somebody did, I think, and uh, it's been going around. So Geek Chic, if you're not familiar with them, they do, they did. Super awesome gaming tables, and then they disappeared off the face of the earth, and somebody found some update on the bankruptcy that they have now filed, and so that's out there. Number four, if you like Wushu, then you have to listen to Eli Kurtz and Eric Farmer. They're talking Chopsaki. That's what I call it. <laughs> They're probably like, no, Sean, that's, there's a difference between chop. Chapsaki and Wushu. Probably. Uh, but they have like two episodes out. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes to uh, a couple of those shows. So if you are a big gamer and you do like the Kung Fu Wushu shows, movies, you're you're going to want to really tune into those guys. When Eli Kurtz knows this stuff like a bag of us, and this is the Blackwood guy, right? So it's not like Eli yes. doesn't know this stuff, and Eric Farmer's no slouch here either. So two really right. smart dudes talking about something they love. No. Oh. Uh, and my last one for the week, congrats to the Rodney Award winners. <laughs> so if you're not familiar with the Rodneys, they are Gamehole Cons Awards. Um one of them, I think it's board game, RPG, something else. Um, for the RPG, you can write up a module. And I think the winner is like published by Goodman Games, if I'm not mistaken. Could be. Uh, I thought that was kind of the plan. So we'll have a link in the show notes to who the winners are of that. Specifically, I could tell you in a second. 
So the RPG adventure, they have one called, uh, and that's Dragon Fang Halls of Castle Dracos by Dave Coulson. And then there's a DCC adventure category, which the Star Wound of Abaddon by Marzio Musidir. Oh, God. Musidir? Marzio. I don't know. Poor Marzio. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Marzio. Marzio M. And then the board game, Queen's Quest. By Jason, oh geez, Mycelion, and Matt Plourd. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So they they are winners of that. Congratulations to them. Brett, you want to do the listeners? Yes. So Kevin Lovecraft had pointed us to uh, these massive concrete listening ears that were built in uh, in England. Between the uh, between the world wars, it's kind of a um, it's pre it's parabolic shape designed to collect and magnify sound waves in the air over the English Channel. Kind of kind of cool. And this is one of those pieces that just fits perfectly into a um, World War Cthulhu or anything along those lines. Any type of supernatural or Lovecraftian thing you want to use them for. Good stuff there. Azrael Arocha, friend of the show again, he shares the A Forgotten Realms Explained, a YouTube channel. I think it's got like 25 YouTube pieces. Sean, this reminds me, when I saw this from Azrael, it reminded me of you had talked about possibly doing a similar thing with uh, because of your love for uh, Eberron. It looks like somebody went ahead and grabbed the realms and kind of gave a, uh, I would say, I haven't had a chance to look through it, but it feels like the cliff notes for all the wonders and whatnot that the realms has to do with it, so... Worth a check. I saw that and done. I've like watched, started watching episode one of that on YouTube, and I'm like, wow, this guy did well done. Did some, yeah, he did some legwork and uh, lots of info on the realms. Very cool. And last one is by Christopher Gray, uh, not game related, but because he's an extremely proud husband, his wife's young adult horror book was just released. It's an amazing book, and of course, Christopher is a huge fan. And we got a link in the show notes to the Amazon.com link for this wonderful little novel. So if you'd like to check, uh, take a look at that, check it out, and it might be something that uh, you're interested in, go for it. Show Christopher Gray and his wife a little love. Buy a book. That's right. All right, excellent. Uh, so, Brad, what are we talking about next week? Well, Chris Johnson asked about this, the West Marches style campaign. This is something that I first heard about. Um, by listening to a couple different people on YouTube channels and a few other places talk about it. So I'm going to bring it up and uh, hash it out, at least explain it, and then talk about um, what we think of it and how we may or may not want to use it. So I think it kind of it seems to me to tie into this style of sandboxy thing I just tried to explain around my Warhammer game. So we'll see if, it's, uh, if I'm on, off, or whatnot. So that's what we'll talk about next time. Fantastic, Brett. Well, thank you, Sean. All right. Well, hey, I this has been an awesome show this week with all kinds of stuff and details. Can't wait till next week, Brett. You just liked it because I did all the talking. That's right. <laughs> I've been no, I've been upstairs eating a cheeseburger this whole time. Yeah, it was weird. I was just talking to an empty chair, just lecturing nothing. <laughs> All right. All right. Until next week, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, 
Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Nat Caprio, Pierre Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Tim Shorts, Dan Lavelli, C.W. Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brassett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Jim Fitzpatrick, Michael Drescher, With Static, Alexander Auerbach, Rodrigo Beowulf, Neil Benson, Ron Blessing, Chris Deal, Eric the Hoff Hoffman, Soldiers of Misfortune RPG, Christopher Lang, Curtis Takahashi, Gordon Cranford, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Evan Harrison Cass, Ray Otis, Mark CMG Clover, Eli Kurtz, Ron Bishop, Stefan Dragonspawn, Craig Huber, Xavier G, JV, Matt Stark, John Hammersley, Derelict Radio, John Steve, and Jared Rasher. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you could support the show for an entire month. Consider heading over to GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, friends. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.